Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya, that's Creole for something extra. The Wicked Witch of the West knew, in The Wizard of Oz, she enticed Dorothy and her crew to a field of poppies. And now, my beauty, something with poison in it, I think. With poison in it, but attractive to the eye and soothing the smell. Luckily, Dorothy and her friends survived the pretty poisonous poppies, but a lot of characters created by plant-loving writers have not. Their characters never make it to the end of the book. Instead, they fall victim to the imaginary botanical machinations of their creators, mystery writers with expert knowledge about gardening. Marta McDowell is an enthusiastic gardener and fan of mysteries. She is a consultant for public gardens and private clients and teaches landscape history and horticulture at the New York Botanical Garden. Her writing about gardens has appeared in popular publications such as Women's Day, Country Gardening, and the New York Times. She explores the link between gardening and mystery novels in her new book, Gardening Can Be Murder, How Poisonous Poppies, Sinister Shovels, and Grim Gardens Have Inspired Mystery Writers. And Marta McDowell joins me now from Chatham, New Jersey. Welcome, Marta. Hi, Callie. Glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, First of all, it's a fun book, and it's certainly perfect for Halloween. I'm sure a lot of people have pointed that out to you. (laughs) Absolutely. Although that was a bit of a surprise to me. (laughs) Well, anyway, it's just a, a, a... a unique take on gardening. I never thought about it, but of course, as I read your book, it all made sense. So I uh, read that your first encounter that got you sort of thinking about the connection between gardening and fictional murder uh, was a crime fiction book called Mulch by Anne Ripley. Uh, Tell me what about that book sort of brought it all together for you? Anne Ripley was a garden writer from Colorado And at the time I read that book, I was an aspiring garden writer. (laughs) Because writers tend to write what they know, she made her protagonist a garden writer. Uh, And, you know, she had all sorts of garden elements, including mulch and tools and bromeliads and all sorts of things. So that's when the light bulb went on for me. So explain further about why gardens are such a popular setting for murder mysteries. Well, I I, I think most gardeners understand this feeling of you're always sort of a detective. Uh, why did this plant die? What is bothering this plant? I mean, you're even sometimes out there with a magnifying glass trying to figure out what pest is on your petunia. So I think that might be part of it. Uh, And there are quite a few crime writers who also dabble in the garden. So they have that at their fingertips for various, you know, plot devices and things like that. And it seems like it's kind of a 
mysterious place for those of us who aren't gardeners. Um, so we certainly wouldn't get the clues right away. If uh, You'd have to lead us along, you, you gardeners and writers. <laughs> well, and that's part of the fun, right? You have a puzzle in front of you. So despite the fact that most of these books have a dead body, I do find them quite relaxing to read. <laughs> well, they're fictional, so that, that helps. Um, so I think a lot of people would be surprised about how many uh, mystery novels, because after you, after reading your book, I'm thinking, wow, there's a lot more than I thought about, you know, just around. I was very familiar with Cynthia um, Riggs because she's on Martha's Vineyard and I was aware of her, her books and some of them are, you know, the titles have a kind of uh, poisonous plant in the title. So you sort of get that. But um, you've made the connection over many, many, many um, writers of all different kind of mystery genres. Yes, and I will say, you know, true confessions here. This book was strangely crowdsourced without my trying. So I would, you know, in the course of talking about something else for a group, I, you know, people generally say, oh, and what are you working on next? And I'd say, well, I'm working on a book about horticultural themes in crime fiction. And invariably, someone would come up to me after the talk and say, well, I have a few you should add to your list. Or, you know, people would send me almost unsolicited, you know, lists of books that they liked or that they found. So that was hugely helpful, as you might imagine. And they're still coming out of the woodwork. Oh, my so goodness. I'm, I'm ha I, <laughs> I have this growing list on my website. So people can add to it as, as they uh, find more. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting is that uh, sometimes uh, the writers pick a particular plant um, and other times it's gardening in general to be linked to the murder. Um, now, why would an author choose a particular plant? Just because, for example, we know that poppies are poisonous. Actually, I didn't know poppies were poisonous until <laughs> A Wizard of Oz and then it was reinforced by the title of your book. Um, but Explain that a little bit. Well, I think sometimes a writer is looking for a particular setting. So Stephanie Barron picked for her setting a famous garden in the south of England called Sissinghurst, uh, particularly the White Garden at Sissinghurst. And she used as her structure a flashback technique where it was in the undetermined present and then flashed back to the years of the Bloomsbury Circle with people that are well-known like Virginia Woolf and Vita Sackville-West, who was one of the creators of Sissinghurst and you know their relationship as well because they were uh, fast friends and sometimes lovers so it was a very interesting uh, kind of vignette to choose and the garden is famous so that made it interesting and so that is why she called her book the white garden well you've laid out your book gardening can be murder how poisonous poppies sinister shovels and grim gardens have inspired mystery writers like a mystery novel. So we learn about the detectives, the scene of the crime, then you talk about motives, means, the clues, and then you solve the murder, 
quote unquote, uh, and making the case for why gardening can be murder. I'd like the listeners to get a, a sense of your voice on the page. So would you read for me from page 99? Perhaps it's fatal attraction. A typical herbaceous border could serve as a living cross-reference for a dictionary of toxicology. So many murderous plants are lurking in the garden, it strikes me that nursery pots should come with warning labels. An ancient philosopher proposed, convim mortis nos es medicament in hortis. Nothing growing in the garden can stop death. In the world of crime fiction, plenty of garden-worthy plants have caused it. Say, dear stalker hat and pipe, and most people will respond, Sherlock Holmes. While Holmes's expertise in most areas was encyclopedic, his knowledge of botany was, as Watson once said, variable, and his skills in practical gardening nearly nil. Holmes owed his variable knowledge of botany to his creator, who earned it at a prestigious garden. Arthur Conan Doyle entered Edinburgh University in 1876 to pursue a medical degree. One of his required subjects was botany, conducted at the Royal Botanic Garden, Edinburgh. Three years later, a brief article appeared in the British Medical Journal entitled Gelsimium as a Poison. It was signed A.C.D., and scholars consider it Doyle's first work of nonfiction. Now, did you know that before you started doing research for this book? I did not. This was one of those pleasant surprises that uh, I encounter all the time in my research, which is one of the many fun things about doing what I do. Because imagine the history of crime fiction without Sherlock Holmes. It would not be the same. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me is Marta McDowell, gardener and author of Gardening Can Be Murder, How Poisonous Poppies, Sinister Shovels, and Grim Gardens Have Inspired Mystery Writers. Okay, what is your favorite story of a garden being the scene of the crime um, in all of the many mysteries that you've written. And I want to emphasize that you're a big mystery fan as well. Well, I would have to say Deacon King Kong. I absolutely loved this book by James McBride. It is not a traditional detective story. Uh, so I will say, Callie, that I probably stretched the definition <laughs> slightly, but there is a dead person in the book. There is a shooting that is mysterious. There is an Irish cop. Uh, and there is so-called Deacon King Kong himself, uh, Coffee Lambkin is a deacon in this fictional Baptist church in Brooklyn. And James McBride does such a wonderful job of weaving in the garden elements, uh, which are several in the book, and in particular, a flower that I grow and I really like called a moon flower, which mm. blooms in the evening. Okay. Now, is that the same flower that was in Crazy Rich Asians? 
that blooms only once at night. I, I, I don't know gardening, you can tell, but it was a pretty... Uh, <laughs> no, I think that's the night blooming series, okay. but I, I would have to go back and check myself. <laughs> See, I thought I might as well check with you, gardening expert, while we're here. Um, well, you know, just like the Dinkin King Kong uh, character and the book, uh, there are other instances where their gardens have been the scene of, uh, well, th in that case, that's a fictional, not quite murder, but a mystery, kind of a mystery murder in Dick and King Kong. But the first thing I thought about when I heard about your book before cracking it open was, of course, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which is a fictionalized version of a real murder in Savannah, Georgia, and then became a very popular movie. Let's listen to a clip from the trailer of that film, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. What happened? Oh, that Jim Weems went and shot somebody. Can of pay? My client has nothing to say. You'd like to spike that up? There's a bar right there. Oh, thank you. I'm still on duty, Mr. Williams. The place is fantastic. It's like Gone with the Wind on Mescaline. It's just a shooting, but give it time. It's going to be rather sticky for Jim. Listen to me. They walk imaginary pets here, Garland, and they're all heavily armed and drunk. New York is boring. I'll call you later. Uh, are you familiar with that garden uh, mi murder mystery in that book and film? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. And I, you know, I puzzled about including it because it isn't gardening in the sense that, you know, most people think about it. Uh, but it does have that, you know, life and death, you know, cemetery and like that whole mysterious setting is so uh, rich that I did give it a mention. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I hear in your garden, you have a lot of uh, poisonous plants as well, or plants that be, could be considered poisonous. Tell us about it. Yes. And not deliberately. So I did not create a poison garden when I started the beds and borders around where I live. But, you know, I do love poppies, which you've already mentioned, foxglove. I have, uh, you know, the monk's hood, which blooms around this time. Really toxic. You know, I don't have it planted near my vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> because as I've learned, uh, it's really easy uh, to make a mistake and have an accidental poisoning because, you know, f most of us don't, don't know which plants are poisonous. Absolutely. And, you know, even the house I grew up in as a child, there were two big yew bushes on either side of the little front stoop. And I can remember my mother saying, you know, don't eat those red berries off the yew trees. Uh, but actually, all parts of the plant are poisonous. So, <laughs> you know, luckily, I didn't like to chew on trees. <laughs> um, I would like uh, you to talk about how excited you are about gardening, because that comes through in the book. And um, you have to begin there if you're writing about this as a plot point in your mystery. You have to, I think, really, really love it um, because then you get a, a better ability to sort of weave in these clues that most of the rest of us will miss. And by the time we know it, then somebody's dropped dead because they did something or touched something they weren't supposed to. So tell me about why you love gardening so much, Marta McDowell. 
Well, it's outdoors. I love being outside. It is sort of meditative. You know, when I started gardening, I think I I I imagined that I might have great thoughts out in the garden, but mostly I just, you know, my mind sort of settles into a comforting zone <laughs> going and drone as well. <laughs> uh so I you know, it's a way to interact with nature in a in a vaguely productive way. Uh, and I love reading. So, you know, what I do when I'm sitting at the keyboard is this wonderful mashup of these two things. So, you know, I always feel like, how lucky am I? Except on the days where it doesn't feel lucky and it just feels like work. <laughs> <laughs> well, gardening is a lot of work, which is why I don't do it. I just purchase what the rest of you all create, and I'm happy about that. Um, so the role of gardens, back to mystery writers and their use, um, I noticed that a lot of the, the garden mystery murders that we may know, even casually, are British or somehow connected to British um, detectives or settings, uh, probably because there's a lot of gardens there. Um, and so I was take, quite taken by that. Um, and I found a clip from a 1991 episode of the Poirot series, which was based off of Agatha Christie's short story, How Does Your Garden Grow? She was going to get everything, including my garden! My garden! So you would plant the poison in her room and send her to her death? What did it matter? She's a little fool! Keep back! Oh, yes. That jelly of a husband of mine tried to talk me out of it. But it was so deliciously easy. Auntie always had a weakness for oysters, but the doctor disapproved. It was simple to produce them as a secret treat. She swallowed them so quickly she never noticed the taste of the strychnine. The only problem was to dispose of the shells so Lucy wouldn't notice. An edging on the flower bed was perfect. Now, there you have a murderer that used the full extent of the garden, both the poison from the plant and the edging on the flower bed. I thought, wow, that's pretty good. Yes, I loved that they took the oyster <laughs> shells, that you know, some of which had been filled with poisoned oysters and then used them, you know, kind of stuck them in the ground like little ornamental edging. <laughs> so is this something that uh, will be forever thus? Uh, the role of gardenings in um, mystery writers' novels. I mean, there's many ways you could do it, of course, depending on the story, but um, it's been done quite a bit. Just wondering what you're seeing out there as you are looking for that combination, the gardener, writer, and the mysteries. I think as long as there are gardeners and there are mystery writers, there will be gardening uh, detective stories. It's I think it's just uh, too too good to let go by. And is there a change in what we think about as a garden for the Poirot series? I'm imagining a very classic, huge, you know, British garden, very well tended um, for Deacon King Kong, as it was described. That's you know, sort of an urban garden. Um, does it matter what kind of garden um, you? are seeing and do you think that's going to change at all that's a really interesting idea and i have seen now just emerging 
some, you know, people using, uh, there's a new book that's still on my list of using a native plant nursery, you know, plants that are native to a local region are increasingly popular for good ecological reasons. So I think that that will evolve you know, definitely back in the early days, the female detectives, you know, they tended to be the spinster, like Miss Marple, uh, or the governess. And, you know, now you see, you know, women scientists and, you know, women police officers. And so that's definitely changed as well. All right. I love to find out from authors what surprises uh, that you may have run across while doing this book, something that really stood out for you, because you know a lot about gardening already. So it had to be pretty special. Yes, I, I would. I would say to me, you know, after the Sherlock Holmes, which was really stunning, uh, another one, you know, that that's a different sort of thing was in a book by Tony Hillerman called The Wailing Wind. And in it, one of the clues was this uh, very uh, sharp seed. They call it sometimes goat's head or puncture vine. You know, that's very, <laughs> very descriptive. Or sometimes caltrop, which is what it's called in the book, C-A-L-T-R-O-P. And so, you know, I'm looking up about this plant, which is an actual plant that grows out in the American Southwest. And it, Caltrop is a, a weapon that the Romans, you know, way back when in the classical period used. And it's a very sharp metal object, small, like, you know, like jacks that children would play with. And they would throw these in front of approaching armies in the hundreds to injure the soldiers and the animals, like the horses, which is really awful. But so that's how the seed head gets its name, because it will stick to clothing and stick to shoes. And in the mystery, it is used to help, you know, determine where the crime actually happened. And of course, there is forensic botany. I mean, that is something that goes on today in, you know, botanical gardens and uh, places like that to help uh, to assist, you know, police officers trying to figure out murders. Well, I would say, Marta, that you've given people uh, a new possible costume for Halloween. <laughs> you can just come as a gardener. <laughs> Yes, you can be a garden detective or a garden suspect. Or I suppose you could be, I hate to say this, you could be the dead body in the garden. <laughs> That'll work too. I mean, perfect timing for Halloween. It's a great book. Um, I truly have enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Kelly. An absolute pleasure. Marta McDowell is the author of Gardening Can Be Murder. How Poisonous Poppies, Sinister Shovels, and Grim Gardens Have Inspired Mystery Writers. The book is available in bookstores and online now. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH. 
produced by Jesse Steinmetz and Ashley Sobroto, who is also our intern. Our engineer is Dave Goodman. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Wednesday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.